0: Over the last several years, as I have been a part of SOAR mentorship, I have been able to witness lives changed, friendships that flourish, and families that grow in Christ. It's been amazing to see what God can do when women connect with other women who intentionally and effectively want to grow in their relationship with God. That's what I want people to see, women discovering their gifts and talents, To help women understand what it looks like to develop a personal relationship with Jesus Christ in a deeper and more meaningful way. And we do that through one-on-one meetings with mentors. We do that through a good meal shared once a month where we talk about what we're learning from God. It's so exciting to watch women discover what their gifts are and then using those gifts in the kingdom of God, whether that's in their job or in their families or serving in their church, you can demonstrate the goodness of God and give Him glory in all things and continue becoming a learner, a lover, and a leader and having an impact on the world for His glory.
1: Absolutely. Ladies, please consider signing up for mentorship. Yesterday, there was about 70 ladies here enjoying a wonderful breakfast together a word of God, and just some fellowship and fun. So let me encourage you to uh, connect, be a part. And and that's what we're talking about. We're talking about doing life together. First of all, let me just slow down for a second. It's raining outside. I don't know if you guys know it. It's been over two months since rainfall has occurred in the Charleston area. So I just I just think it's awesome that it's raining outside. Maybe I'm just getting old. Maybe that's it. But it's absolutely beautiful out there, and we're glad you're here today. But doing life together is really big. Um, uh, Jesus told us that. We learned it from him when he was praying. He said, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given them, that they may be one as we are one. And I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but those also who believe in me through their word, that's us, that they may all be one, even as you, Father in me, and I in you, and that they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one, and I in them, and you in me, and that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, and even as you have loved me. All that wrapped up under the pressure, under the concept, under the idea of together. He talks about that they may have the glory that we have so that they may be one, that they may share the word of God, that they may be glorified so that the world may know and believe in their word. There's this incredible power of together. That they may be one as we are one, he prayed. That they may be one as we are one that they may be one as we are one, over and over again. So that we may have a lot of concepts here of what Christianity should look like, what church should look like. You know, and there's amazing churches in this city. I'm Tanya. we're glad you're here today, but I will boast of some of the churches that are in the Charleston area. And we have a little bit of, we may do church differently, but in every church that's following after God, doing life together, And being one as he is one is what it's all about. It's not about the music style, it's not uh, about what kind of prayers are prayed or whether or not you use a hymnal or whether or not you use projectors. It doesn't matter if your music is contemporary or if it's classical. It all comes down to what God wants for us, wants us to be, and he wants us to be together. He wants us to be one just as he is one. He wants us to experience that. And together has an ethos. It's, it's, with God, it has a character. There's a truth to it. Um, it's not just together. There's a, there's a way that, they're to, that we're together, that God's love is unconditional. It's relentless. It's sacrificial. It's giving. It's personable. That's what he wants our together to look like. But we can, we can do together wrong, can't we? I mean, have you ever gotten together and, and just uh, we're together the wrong way? And I recently have done that. It's like, you know, you get together with people or friends, and, and then your conversation goes in the wrong direction. You're not talking about the things you should be talking about. And you're kind of like, uh, you're together, but you're, you're just not together the right way. And um, there can be a lot of envy or bitterness or jealousy involved. So you can be one, but you can be one for the wrong reasons. And matter of fact, I've got a... I want to show you this, this uh, little short that came off the Internet... And it's ridiculous. It's kind of a spoof, uh, but on a spoof on something that needed to be spoofed on. But I wanted to show that it is possible for us to assemble together, even in the name of Christ, even in the name of Jesus, as a church, but be together the wrong way. Let's watch.
2: This day moving forward, okay? In our office, on this campus... But especially in this tent, I do not want anything that carries the Starbucks logo on this church property. You hear me? That is Lilith 1000%. I've studied it. It is a demon. It is sexual deviance. I am done with Starbucks. I've been done with Starbucks for a long time. It's communist coffee anyhow. You can, look, you can go and drink a gallon of Starbucks today. That's fine. Don't you bring in cups in this room. If I see it, I'm going to tell you to take it out. You hear me? I'm telling you, that company is not only one of the most godless companies on the planet. They are full-blown, 1,000%, a witch's coven. I promise you it's the facts. I'll stake my life on it. Starbucks is witchcraft. So-
1: wow. Wow. I was like, well, wait a minute. You just ratted out another preacher. It's like, no, nah, he put it on the web. I just, I, you know, we can, we can really get caught up on all the things that we have differences of opinion on. And so, on your way out, we will be—we uh, will have a trash can for all your Starbucks cups on the way out. But you can be one the wrong way. You can be one for the wrong reason. And God is inviting us into a city to do life together, where we are growing up in love and in truth, and edification of one another, where we grow together, that where we live together. See, together is is more than a concept, it's more than a dream, it's more than an idea. Together is a choice we step into. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is together is something that you have to choose to step into. I'm not going to control what kind of cups that you bring in here. I'm not going to try to force and dictate and determine any of that in your life. Together is something that you are going to have to decide. It can be a great and lofty idea presented to us from the scripture, but it is going to come down to whether or not it is the choice that we want to step into. So, there was this whole group of people, they were new to the church. As a matter of fact, the church was new to the church. And so, Jesus had died, Jesus had risen, uh, Jesus had descended to the right hand of the Father, and then there was the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. That happened in the book of Acts. And um, and so there was this big moment when the apostle Peter is presenting the gospel. You know, he just presents the whole story of Jesus. And everybody hears it. And so we're kind of shown what, what happens next, because that's maybe what needs to happen next for us. So then those who had received Peter's word were baptized. And that day, there were added 3,000 souls. Man, that's a heck, what a preaching job that must have been, that in one day, people hear him, they get baptized, and and 3,000 people are saved. Well, the problem is, is for most churches like ours and like so many other Bible Belt churches, that's it. Well done. We did it. We got baptisms on the list. We got members joining the church, and we got souls saved. That's a good day. You know, and if that's what we think the church is, then that was great stuff. And it is great stuff, and it's necessary stuff. But it's not enough to live the life that God had called them to. See, it was enough to die with, but it just wasn't enough to live with. And that's where together comes in. And so they got the part about dying. If you die tonight, you know where you'll spend eternity. Well, they got that part all right. And they they got baptized and they got saved and their souls were going to go to heaven. But they didn't stop there. They didn't all of a sudden just kind of hop in their cars after Sunday service and drive home and, and call it another weekend. See, together was a choice that they stepped into. Let's continue. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. and Many signs and wonders were taking place through the apostles. So it says that they made the choice that they were continually devoting themselves. Now, I kind of looked up this word, continually devoting themselves, because, you know, I'm devoted to some things, you know, um, I'm, I'm devoted to the patriots when they win. They're not winning. Uh, I am very, a very little bit devoted, not much devoted. Um, I'm devoted to you know, uh, certain kinds of restaurants and and shopping at certain kinds of stores. So it's kind of like, what do you mean continually devoting? Well, it means in the original language, it means to be earnest towards something, to persevere into something, to be constantly diligent towards something. And I needed a better word than that. That still wasn't doing it. I needed, you know, sometimes you need a fresh word, like I need to think of something in a new way or kind of a, just look at it differently. So I, I kind of went to my thesaurus. Um, they went after devoting themselves assiduously. I don't know how we'll often you use the word assiduous or assiduously. And I was like, okay, that's a, that's a good word. I think I can, I can hunker down on that word. That makes me feel a little bit smarter. And, and, and it's this idea of showing great care and attention and effort marked by a careful, unremitting attention or a persistent application. Bingo. Now my brain was there. Because as an American, I can be dedicated to so many things, I can drive a certain brand car, um, and then I can, what can I do? I just will move on to something else. But this being assiduous, this idea of unremitting attention is what these people were doing. They were continually devoting themselves to what was going on with God, what was going on in their community, what was going on with other people's lives. They were committed to that. So I I just want us to maybe break the American concept of what it means to be a church goer or a Christian or be a member of a church. And we use a lot of these different phrases. and, um, And so I wanted to go back and see where before we kind of messed it all up, at the very beginning, when the first group hears the message and joins and becomes a part and gets baptized and saved, how far do they go with this? It seems that they went pretty far. They were continuously, assiduously devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So what was the apostles' teaching? And I thought about that because uh, the church is just a few days old. I mean, these guys have only been walking with Jesus for three years, and they're fishermen. So we know that they haven't been schooled in philosophy or religion. They may have had their own personal, private life at the synagogue, but we know that they, were, they didn't understand everything about the Trinity or the Nicene Creed and all the wonderful things that we have developed and come to know as, as truth about God. So they were, they were really at a rudimentary level or um, they were naive at this point to maybe other philosophical implications. And the reason why that's important is that when we talk about being devoted to the apostles' teaching, some of us look at all of it and are like, man, I just don't get it. I don't understand it. There's so much. There's... There's, you know, if you were raised Catholic like me, there's holy days of obligation. There's not eating meat on Friday. There's confessionals. There's, I mean, there's so many things. And, and us, I, if you were raised Baptist, you had the same kind of thing you had. You had to go to an altar call. You had to raise your hand in public, you know. And, and there was all kinds of different things that we have added to this. But what they were devoting themselves was to the apostles' teaching. And what was that? I don't think it was that sophisticated. I think it was learning what Jesus said to them, what Jesus did while with them, and what Jesus told them to do. I really And so when you think about, well, I want to commit myself to God and to learning about God and to the apostles' teaching, maybe step back a little bit and don't be overwhelmed by what we're talking about. I'm not inviting you to systematic uh, theology or apologetics, though those are beautiful disciplines of the Christian faith. That's not what they were committing themselves to. They were committing to themselves to learning more about Jesus. And that's what Jesus said, you know, learn of me. Take my yoke upon me on you. It's like, learn about me. Discover rest as a result of learning about me. That's That's what they were devoting themselves to, is to learn more about Jesus. They were committing themselves assiduously to fellowship, to being intentional about gathering together, to learn, to to love, and to lead one another closer in relationship to God. And this is a really challenge to us because we want our singular lives. Nobody here loves being left alone in his own house with his wife more than i do i love being home alone you know i mean i do it's just like it's it's like restful and it's like i don't want to go out and you know d- do i have to go to work and and all these other things that we may think about in our lives but i will tell you this god has called us to break out of that mold and to do life together, to fellowship, and they were committing themselves to this. And so if you're here today and you're kind of a, uh, you're a, a thinking Christian, and there are such things, there are, there are bold Christians, there are thinking Christians, there are serving Christians, there are different ways that we work out our Christianity, and, and I like being a thinking Christian, but I always thought that being a thinking Christian excused me from being a together Christian. You know, as long as I'm thinking it out, I got it all worked out, I got all the theology, understand the philosophy and all the different arguments, it's like, yeah, I'm good with God. And he's like, no, no, I have prayed for you, Mr. Thinker, to be together assiduously. I want you to commit yourself to doing relationship with other people. Then this new group of naive believers were committing themselves to the breaking of bread, What an interesting phrase, because it's used a couple times. And I think this usage of the breaking of bread, there's there's nothing intrinsic in the word structure that kind of tells us exactly, because this can go one of two ways. It can be the breaking of bread, referring to the Eucharist or having communion together as we will celebrate at the end of the service, or it could be meaning just going and eating together. I think in this particular case, because everything seems to be apostles' prayer, to fellowship, to the breaking, uh, teaching, the fellowship, breaking of bread into prayer, everything seems to be around church life liturgy. And so the breaking of bread, to me, seems to be talking about what they were constantly committing themselves to was the teaching of Christ, to doing life together, but bringing it always back to the table of Christ. What is that? That's a community that focuses around the sacrament of grace and forgiveness. That that's what this community was all about. It was not only just taking the bread and breaking it and the cup and remembering the Lord's sacrifice, but it was the the breaking of bread, it was kind of like saying a community of forgivers, a community of those who are walking in forgiveness. They were committing themselves to that kind of together. Could you imagine being a part of, let alone a, a church? Could you imagine just being part of a marriage like that? Could you imagine being a part of a, a, um, a marriage where, where as husband and wife, your way of relating to each other was like breaking of bread. There was always the bread and the cup of forgiveness every single day, and that defined you. A sacrament of grace, and forgiveness in relationship. That's what these people sought. They always wanted to be at that table, literally, but they also wanted their community to be defined. That was the centerpiece. It wasn't being Baptist, it wasn't being Pentecostal, it wasn't being Catholic, it wasn't whether or not you drank Starbucks or you owned Dunkin' Donuts, and I think that guy had some money in Dunkin' Donuts, to be honest with you, Um, but no, it was more about this thing is centered around the table of Christ. The attitude of Christ to forgive and to love. And they committed themselves to prayer. And they committed themselves to prayer, to, to praying and seeking the face of God, to um, ask for prayer for one another. I don't know about you, but I hate asking for prayer. Today I asked for prayer twice. You know, it takes me to get a little bit desperate in my head before I ask for prayer. Why? Because prayer to me, the need for prayer is a sign of weakness. And I don't like appearing weird, weak. I'm weird, but I don't like appearing (laughs) weak in front of anybody. But, you know, can you imagine? So I love this. It's not only were they seeking the face of God and intimacy with God and communion with God. But they were also in a community where you could admit that you're weak. I mean, who doesn't want to be a part of a place like that, where you can share, where you don't have to be strong, that you can come to the place like, I need you to talk to God for me, because right now I'm having a hard time believing God, believing in God, believing for God, believing of God. Has anybody else had a moment like that? where you need to have somebody that you can... I mean, I have moments like that all the time. It's like, dude, they should reduce your salary. You know, it's like, no, I have moments like that all the time. Well, what do I do? I live together. I find me a brother or sister in Christ, and I say, I need you to pray for me. I'm in a tough place today. See, that's exactly where God wants us to be, where we can be in a community where we admit our weaknesses. At the same time, we seek the face of God and discover his intimacy and his love for us. You know, so you think, wow, I, that, that's it. That's that's what it was all about. But the story continues. Again, newbies, they haven't ruined it yet. We haven't had the crusades yet. We had, didn't have a bunch of Islamic people and Christian people fighting each other in the name of Allah or God. We we haven't kind of come up with a lot of rules about, you know, not drinking alcohol and Starbucks cups. And so, so we're kind of getting a real pure look at what God wanted the church to look like. And it said, and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. So it's kind of like the first group that we were told about, I mean, the definition of them all together was kind of like the church liturgy. And now, how they conducted themselves with God together before God, now we seem to have the horizontal description of what's going on. They all who believed were together and had all things in, in common. All things, all those who believed were together, not only in this Sunday moment, but in future moments. They were together in wealth, and they were together in poverty. They were a together in plenty, and they were together in need. And these people were were devoting themselves continually to being together. Sunday morning um, was just where a bunch of them got together. But they were constantly devoting themselves to a relationship with each other. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. They continued daily. I know this is this is kind of shocking. I mean, because we don't want to come here every single day, and this seems kind of like obsessive. But when Christ becomes the center of your life and the sacrament, of his table and the meaning of his table becomes the center of your life, it begins to bring you together with other people who value that. They continue daily, maybe not all of them, maybe it was a phone call to one or a, a couple text messages to another. Maybe it was having coffee or meeting in a small group. But they continued to find places and spaces daily to interact with each other. They put aside their differences in honoring God. They were opening their private lives. This is where it gets really hard. They were opening their private lives. It said that they were, they were going from house to house. It's one thing for us to be able to handle each other here, but to invite you to my house, that is how you know, to come to your house. "Ah, That's weird. I I don't do that. We need to realize from what we're seeing here is that if we can't do that, we're the broken ones. It's not like we're so highly evolved as Americans that we've got it all figured out and we're doing better than they were. No, they were just like, no, I want to be in community with these people that seek God on my behalf, that I can be weak in front of, that I can be strong for, they can be strong for me. And they were committing themselves and they were opening up their private lives. They were bringing the commonality of Jesus to every single day of their lives. Every, not the commonality of the color of their skin, the, their gender, uh, their political views, their coffee cups or whatever that was. That was not their commonality. They were bringing their commonality of Jesus to their meeting together. They experienced gladness, the elimination of pretense, and the acceptance of others. Man, why wouldn't we wanna be a part of that? I mean, what an incredible place where there is no pretense. I mean, do you know how much effort that would take off of me if I could just eliminate pretense in my life, I wouldn't have to wear this stupid sweater with the little collar stuck up. I see some collar guys out there. You know, you're the collar guy. And it's like, wouldn't it be nice to just be able to live your life without pretense and just live it before God, with God, and with other people? You didn't have to worry about whether you were black or white, male or female. Didn't matter what your story, your past was and what you struggled with that you were safe wherever you gathered and met together. This is what God intended church to be like, what together is supposed to be like. And Acts chapter 2, 47 says this, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now this really just blows me away. It says, and the Lord was adding to their number. Um, and the reason why I think this is so cool is because like, God was looking out at what was going on out there, and his influence of his Holy Spirit was influencing people, I want you to go to this church. It's like, wow, I want to be, be the kind of church that I know for us older folks, you used to look in the phone book and try to find a church, and now most of you don't even know what a phone book is. But you used to look in a phone book, or um, you you try to find a church. And but it's interesting that God loved what was going on in this group of three thousand souls and the apostles, and they're breaking of the bread and they're continuing together, and 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 the wealthy helping the poor and the poor helping the wealthy, and and this this idea of a drop of pretense. God was like, look at them, you know. It's like. This is awesome. So God said, I am adding people to this church. I would love to be the kind of church that um, God's up there in heaven. It's like, I got to get these people to cross town." I mean, there's some hurting, lost people. Where are they gonna go? Well, I'll tell you what. I see what they got going on in Crosstown in their women's ministry, in their men's ministry, in their small groups, and what they do on Sunday morning, and and, and how they hang out together, and how they break bread, and how they go from house to house, and they party together, and they have good times together. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm sending people there. See, this is what God's affirming. This is what church is supposed to be like. This is what God wants us to grow into. This is what God wants you to grow into. Remember, accepting Jesus as Savior, getting baptized, being saved, is enough to get you to heaven, but it is not enough for you to live. This is what God's called us to. So when I when I hear stuff like this, and I, I know I tend to be a little bit more, um, I don't know what the word is, uh, cynical. Yeah, that's it. I tend to be a cynical, uh, skeptical thinker. Um, it's nice that I gave myself the title thinker. Uh, I could have said moron right after that. But the idea is this um, whenever I hear like this idea that, okay, wait a minute, breaking bread together daily, apostles teaching to prayer, to fellowship, and all this other stuff, I'm thinking investment. You're calling, you're saying that I'm supposed to be making an investment to my relationship with God, and I'm supposed to be making an personal investment into doing life together. And the the scriptures are very clear. That's what we're called to. But if you're like me, I wanna know what the payoff is. You know, in an investment. I mean, obviously there's financial investments, you wanna know what the payoff is, and um, investments in physical health, in order to be healthier, or investments in a beautiful marriage, or investments in raising kids, or In mental wellness, they're all investments that we realize that we have to make, and we we make these choices all the time. So what I do is I look at the investment and the starting point of the person who's presenting me the investment. It's like, okay, so you got something you want me to invest in, and it's like, let me see the starting point of this person. See, you can tell me about what you can do with my money if I invest merely $500,000 but I can't buy into that because I don't have five, five, $500,000. So you've asked me for a buy-in, and it's like, you're, you're not like me. I, you're in a different place financially. I, I can't make that investment. Um, you could tell me about a new workout routine, um, like CrossFit, and you could tell me about how awesome CrossFit is, but you have to be in your prime for CrossFit. You can't be deadlifting 30 times when you're 65. So if you're telling me about a new workout program, and as I go through Instagram, there'll be this new workout, new study, new study, and it's this, usually this 30-year-old uh, girl or guy and talking about these new workout procedures. Don't do it this way, do it this way. And it's like, well, that's great, but I can't buy in, because I'm not in my prime anymore. It's almost all broken. So you're gonna need me something else other than jumping jacks. You can tell me about getting married as a virgin and being pure before God, but if I just got divorced at 45, then I can't buy in because I'm not that. So when I look at people talking about an investment or buying into something, it's like, I gotta find out, can I buy into this? Also, I check to see if it worked for everyone who fully invested. I do that all the time. Did it deliver what it promised? Are you healthier? Did your cholesterol go down? Um, did you make money? Did it, did your tires last longer on your car? Whatever. Did is your marriage better? Is are your kids doing well? And um, so I ask, you know. I look at the investment, does it deliver what it promised? And then I have to ask myself, did I misinterpret what it promised? So when we step back into Acts chapter two, when we get back into this moment, and doing life together, we are given the call for an investment. But can we, are they like us? Yes, they are. They didn't know anything. They weren't theologians, they were just presented this idea of for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So they are like us. You don't have to have anything up front. We can be a part of this. We are shown um, what the buy-in is in this story. But is the payout what I'm expecting? And what is the payout for us being together? I mean, I'm asking you, no, well, I'm not asking you, the Scriptures are prescribing for us, not only describing, but prescribing for every one of us to be assiduous about the kingdom of God, about doing life together. So what's the payout? Um, I want to say to you that these are the things I want to be able to say that you want. I know you want them. You want me to say it will make you wealthier. Okay? Okay. Uh, if you tithe, if you honor the Lord with your finances, you're going to be a wealthier person. If you give, you're gonna get more money in return. I would like to say that. I, w- I would like to say that if you do this, you're going to have a great, easy life. You know, this is, this is, the, this is the payoff. I would love to tell you that, that everybody in this story who bought in together, assiduously, they all lived out their lives. They all died at about 105. Nobody got dementia, incontinence, or anything like that. Their lives their lives, just was, you know, just amazing. I would like to say that. And the reason why I throw that out, out front is because sometimes we get disappointed because we thought we were gonna get a different uh, payout from our investment. But let me be honest with you. I've seen Christians who have lived on meager. I have seen Christians um, uh, die what I think is too young. I've seen Christians lose their jobs. I've seen Christians struggle through life. I, And that has kind of shook me at times when I see it happen to a friend or to a loved one or to somebody who's incredibly Faithful, and it's like God. I I thought this together was had a payout. So what is the payout? What is the benefit of together? What is the promise? What is the expectation of living life together, following after God? So, being your skeptical mind, being your cynical mind, looking at this the way that I know that you might think about it. Here's what I've discovered that the payout is you will discover who God is that should be a big deal he is running the universe you will discover who you are you can't do that all by yourself you will only discover who you think you are Descartes said I think therefore I am but that's as far as it could go but you will, dis- you will live with the company of people who want the best for you. In weakness, you will find strength. In strength, you will find and develop empathy. In poverty, you will find treasure. In wealth, you will find and exercise generosity. In confusion, You will find surety. In disillusionment, you will find purpose. In doubt, you will find truth. In happiness, you will find thankfulness. In success, you will discover and find humility. In sorrow, you will find hope. In loneliness, you'll find a friend. And in death, you'll find life. All that from doing life together. There's nothing else that delivers that on this planet. You won't find it at the bottom of your Starbucks cup. You won't find it in the brand of your car or the pay scale of your job you will only find it in the one thing God loves on this planet more than anything else. It's not the environment. It's doing life together. So as we enter into this moment of communion, it's only appropriate, the table of Christ. Baptisms, salvations, winning souls. That's good stuff, man. I mean, that's that's go-to-heaven stuff. It's necessary stuff. But it's not enough to live life. Together is what you need. And God has called us together. Most churches end with just saving you. But when Jesus was looking for a church to add broken people like you and me too, he looked for a church that did life together. So it's more than just a woman's breakfast, isn't it? And as fancy as it is, and yeah, I know us guys just do pancakes and sausage. But it's more than just pancakes and sausage, isn't it? It's more than just Bible studies, it's more than just small groups. It's being right in the middle of what God adds to. It says that they, they went from house to house breaking bread and continuing, and it said, uh, with gladness and sincerity of heart, with a lack of pretense, praising God and having favor with all people. Who doesn't want that? Stop settling for the misery of loneliness. Stop settling for just waiting to die and go to heaven. There is so much more God wants you to be a part of. He wants you to be a part of together, real together. The apostles teaching to prayer, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, going house to house, and having gladness, the falling away of pretense, needs being met, generosity being discovered, loneliness being squelched, all of it happens when we do life together. Father God, as we come in this moment to the breaking of bread, we are not just coming to a table with bread and juice. We are coming to the together sacrament it's the sacrament that reminds us that we are a community of grace and forgiveness that we are living in sacrament together with humility and weakness but our hands have touched the source of life God, as we eat and we drink, we do so remembering that Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. We do so discovering that this is the best place on earth to be. So, Father, speak to every one of our hearts about life together. You're inviting us to it. Father, thank you so much that today I have discovered that it's not so much if you want me to be a um, doctor or a lawyer or a teacher or a plumber, but it's that you want me to experience together that we may be one as you are one, that that's where where it happens. So, Father, today we come to the table of together that is represented by your body and your blood.